Good evening, everybody. Uh, welcome to what the Book Festival is called a late night event at any other festival in, in, in Edinburgh. 9.30, things are just starting, but here this is, this is um, a landscape where people are normally in, their, in bed with their cocoa right now, so this is very exciting. Um, my name is Mark Fisher. I'm a, a, a freelance writer and a journalist, and I'm very pleased to um, introduce one of the uh, most popular uh, attendees at the Book Festival. Um, he's known, of course, for writing fantastic novels such as um, Porno, Ecstasy, Glue, Filth, Bedroom Secrets of the Master Chefs, uh, Marabou Stort Nightmares, Crime, The Acid House. Uh, there's another one that's um, quite famous as well, isn't there? Um, uh, Prime of Mystery and Brody is the other one, of course. And uh, known across other medium as well. He's written for the theatre, written for, for uh, t uh, television, uh, Wedding Bells comes to mind as a fantastic piece of... Um, uh, Leith drama, and uh, uh, regularly seen as a as a as a, uh, a reviewer of books. Only writes good, only reviews books books that he likes. In, in the Guardian, I've heard him heard him said. Um, he is of course Irving Welsh, and uh, this event is uh, sponsored by the Big, big Issue. Uh, the way it'll work is that Irving's going to read to us for 20 minutes, 25 minutes. Uh, then I might ask a few questions, and I can see that you're all, all an eager and keen crowd, and uh, so we'll get lots of questions, from, or as many questions as we can from you before the hour is up, um, after which uh, we can head to the signing tent, which is just uh, next door, and uh, the conversation can continue, and uh, the night will just be beginning. So um, let's have a big round of applause for Irvin Welsh. Thanks very much. Uh, first thing to say, it's, it's just obviously great being back in my home city again and um, being able to, to read again at the, the book festival. Uh, this is uh, a story from a collection of short stories which is uh, called Reheated Cabbage. And um, these are kind of basically sort of 90s stories and uh, most of them were kind of written in the 90s and I just decided to get them all under one roof from all these anthologies and publications that they've been in uh, magazines. So stuck them together and uh, this is the result. But uh, this story is about a character from Trainspotting called Begbie. And um, it's, basically <coughs> it's basically Christmas at the Begbie family's house. I know it's a, a little bit unseasonal, but uh, <laughs> here we go. <coughs> There's some cunts that you hear off with and some cunts that you didn't. Take Elspeth's boyfriend, for example. A right case in point, that yin. I mean, I'd never met the cunt till Christmas Day. But all we got off the old lady leading up to it was, Greg this, and Greg that, and he's an awfully nice laddie. So that gets you thinking to yourself right away. Oh, aye. <laughs> Christmas, eh? Some cunts lap it up. But to me, it's a load of fucking shite. Too commercialised. It's usually just a family for us. But I've moved in with my bird, Kate. We were first festive season together. We had a big row about it and all. Mind you, yeah, I was there at Christmas. Wouldn't it be a fucking Christmas with every cunt getting on each other's nerves? As you can fucking guess, she's moaning that we're going to Mama's instead of hers. The thing is that my brother Joe and his wife Sandra and the two wee bairns and my sister Elspeth would be there. Tradition in that. That's what I tell Kate. Uh, I was go to my old girls at Christmas. That cow I used to be with, that June, 
She's taking the bairns to her old ladies. Not that it bothers me, but it means that my ma will not be able to see them at Christmas. That's June, but Philly fucking spite. You can't fucking win with birds at Christmas. Aye, Kate was all humpty, you know. She goes, well, you go to your ma's and I'll go to my family's. I says to her, then they start getting fucking wide. We're going to my ma's and that's that. Then they try and snub my old girl. So that was that settled. Nearer the, t- <laughs> the time, I get so the old lady, asking her when she wants us ruined. She gazes saw this. Oh, let me see. When did Elspeth say that her and Greg were going to come round again? Well, you get the fucking picture. By the time it's Christmas Day, me and Joe have heard we're fucking Philly Elspeth's boyfriend. This fucking Greg cunt, or whatever you call him. <laughs> I'd been out on the push all Christmas Eve with some of the boys, and Joe was in the same boat. You could see it for the cunt's eyes. He was fucked and all. Aye, it got fucking well messy that night. Lines of Charlie wrapped up every five minutes. Bottles and bottles of champagne being guzzled. That to me is what Christmas is all about. <laughs> Just letting yourself go. Especially the champagne, I love that stuff. Could quaff it till the fucking cows come home. Must be the aristocrat in it, eh? Blue fucking blood. <laughs> you suffer the next day, but no half you fucking well, didn't So that Christmas morning, me and her are having a big argument again. My head's fucking nipping. My sinuses feel like some cunts went and poured concrete into them. Trying to get ready to go to my masseuse and feeling like that. And she asks, what do you think I should wear today, Frank? I just looks at her and goes, Clay's. <laughs> that shuts her fucking mouth for a bit. <laughs> then I says, how the fuck should I can? She looks at us and goes, well, should I get all dressed up or what? Wear what you fucking well like, I tell her. I'm not getting all trussed up like a fucking turkey just to sit peeving and watching the telly round at my ma's. Levi's, Ben Sherman, Stone Island Cardi, that'll do for me. <laughs> that seems to satisfy her, so she puts on the sports gear, casual but quite smart, can? <laughs> I can tell her mile away she's taking the fucking strop. But I'm just thinking, well, if she wants to be all antisocial this Christmas, that's fucking well up to her. So we get stood in the road and heads to my old girls. Joe and that was already there. Aye, aye, Franco. That Sandra goes to me. Aye, I goes. Never saw eye to eye with her. Too much, yeah, mouth on it. Then he can how her joke he'd be doing with that. His choice, but wouldn't they fucking well be mine anyway? At least her and Kay get on, and that's a good thing, because it keeps the bearings off of Joe's back and lets us get a wee peeve in peace. I get a can of red stripe open. I'm going to get fucking well hammered. It's what Christmas is all about. We're firing into the laggers, all right. We're just sitting there, thinking through our hangovers. If this fucking Greg cunt, or whatever you call the boy, if he starts getting wide, he's going to get a fucking bat in the mouth. Christmas or no fucking Christmas. After a bit, the door goes, and it's Elspeth. This tall, dark-heated cunt with a side parting comes in behind her. He's all done up to the nines in a fucking smart coat and suit. You can tell this cunt really fucking well fancies himself. 
Bob got me with the side pattern. <laughs> kind of some things just get on your fucking nerves for no reason. But what really wound us up is that he's carrying a bunch of fucking flowers. Flowers on fucking Christmas Day. For you, Val, he goes to the old girl, giving her a wee peck on the cheek. Then the cunt comes up to me and goes, you must be Frank. And he puts his hand out. I'm thinking, aye, where the fuck wants the Ken likes? But I let it go, because I didn't want to cause a scene. Just didn't take the smarmy poof at all, but you kind of is with some people. Try as you might, you just can't fucking well take to them. But I bites the bullet, shakes the cunt's hand, thinking Christmas and that, season of goodwill. Good to meet you finally, he says. Elspeth talks about you a lot, in very glowing terms, I should add. The cunt goes. I feel like asking the cunt, what the fuck is on about? Is he trying to get fucking wide or what? But he's turned away and he's out to Joe. And you must be Joe, he goes. Aye, says Joe, shaking his hand but no getting up out the chair. So you're our Elspeth fellow then, eh? I certainly am, he smiles at her. And I catch her, I catch him getting her hand a squeeze. She's looking all that daft way, like she's never been out with a gage before. Love's young dream, that Sandra goes cooing away like one of the big fat fucking pigeons that the old man used to keep. <laughs> Aye, I mind wringing a couple of the cunts' necks after he battered this once. <laughs> Best thing to do with the cunts, though, is to set them on fire. It's Barry watching them try to take off when they're blazing away and screaming in agony. I'll get you fucking cooing, you cunts. Sometimes I used to go down to the loft in his allotment, burn a couple of the bastards there, or just get you in and nail it to the hut. Just to see the expression on the old, boy, the old fucker's face when he came home all pissed and upset. Wanted to kill half a fucking leaf. I'd be sitting there in the chair opposite, looking all innocent, just going, Oh, what one was it they got this time, Dad? And he'd be fucking well just about in tears. The cunt would smash up the house in a fit of rage before hitting the fucking boozer again. Come to think it, it was probably me that drove the cunt to drink. Him and his fucking daft pigeons. That fucking Sandra. Never mind the fucking turkey. Stick that fat cunt in the oven. We'll be feeding half a fucking leaf through it next Christmas. <laughs> I didn't care about stuffing it, but I'll not be volunteering for their fucking duties anyway. No fucking chance. So this big bloated sow's right up to the Els right up to Elspeth's boy. I'm Sandra, Joe's wife. She says to this Greg, oh that flirty, slutty way. The cunt goes up, kisses her twice, once on each cheek, like some fucking weirdo. <laughs> I didn't had with that, kissing a woman you didn't ken in somebody's house at Christmas. <laughs> at a fucking family gathering. I am watching Kate. Thinking if he does that to her, he's fucking well getting the nut rammed on him. Fucking smarmy poof. <laughs> but she sees me looking at her. She kens how to behave. Got her well fucking trained. Aye, she kens not to show us up. Must have a word with Joe about that Sandra. Embarrassing him like that. I ken that big cow. A leper never fucking well changes its spots right enough. Used to call her the 32 bus back in the day. 
That was because every cunt rode around the schemes. <laughs> Still, it's no for me to say. So Kate puts out her hand for him to shake and keeps her eyes doing away for his. I'm Kate, she mumbles. Handled that young well. Aye, maybe the message about egging boys on is starting to get through. Just as fucking well for her sake. The way I see it is when a lassie's gone out with somebody, she's no meant to be getting other boys to come on all the time. Can't trust a fucking cow like that. You've got to have trust in a relationship. This Greg looks all surprised and gives a wee smile. Something creepy about that bastard. Can of some cunts just set your fucking teeth on edge? The fucker reminds us of this cunt, an insurance man, who used to come round door bit when we were bairns. He'd always give us his sweeties, really crap yins like dolly mixtures, all that cheap shite. Ah, you could see he was a right fucking oily cunt underneath it all. I always took the sweeties off the fucker though, too fucking right I did. Never liked the cunt now. The old girl's been in the kitchen all morning, working on the meal. Face is all red. She likes to make a big effort for Christmas. Wouldn't it be me anyway? Fuck slaving out a hot stove on Christmas Day. You can't work out what's going, on, what's going on in some cunts he's but. Now she's trying to organise every cunt, making a big fuss about us all opening our presents under the tree. I'm no bothered about all that shite. Who cares about fucking presents? As far as clays and that goes, I've got the money to get what I want. You want to get what you want to wear, know what some other cunt fucking well gives you. I gave the bird 200 quid for clays and my ma the same. I gave Joe 100 to get something for the bairns, 50 bar to your Elspeth for whatever she wanted. The only presents I got was for my own bairns. That was because I can't if I gave June the money to get them something, like a PlayStation or a fucking bike. They'd end up with some plastic shite for Ali's cave. Aye, <laughs> uh, the rest would go and fucking snout for her. So that was all. The rest of them, it was just, here's your fucking Christmas present off of me. Get the fuck what you want. <laughs> Best fucking way. All that fuss about wrapping fucking presents up. Couldn't you be dealing with that? Fuck wrapping presents. Wrap some cunt's fucking jaw. <laughs> I'm looking over at Kate. 200 fucking bar for Klezagida. She comes at my ma's dressed like a fucking frump, showing us up. Who else just made an effort? She's got a nice black perty dress on. Off of that smarmy Greg cunt and all. Even that fucking cow Sandra has. Minging old fucking hen done up a spring chicken. But at least she's fucking well tried. Kate but a fucking Jakey on Christmas Day. And my ma's who's and all. They're all making a big fuss about presents. It's, ooh, this is lovely. And ooh, it's just what I've always wanted. They're at me to open mine. And I think might as well keep the cunts happy. If it fucking well means that much to them. I gets a blue pastel coloured Ben Sherman off of Kate. And a yellow Ben Sherman off of Joe and Sandra. In my old girl's pastel, there's another Ben Sherman. <laughs> a black, brune and light blue striped gin. I think I must have asked for Ben Sherman off of every cunt. Mind you, you can't go wrong with shirts. There's one left, marked on the gift tag, to Francis from Elspeth and Greg. Merry Christmas. Feels like another fucking Ben Sherman. But when I rips it open, it's a sweater with a new club crest on it. That's nice, my mother says. 
Elspeth goes, aye, it's a new inn. It's got the original harp crest on it with the ship for lease in the castle for Edinburgh. They're smiling at us and it gets right on my fucking tits. I try to take the fucking piss here. To me, when you buy some cunt official club merchandise, it's like you're saying that you think they're a fucking wanker. <laughs> I wouldn't be seen dead wearing that fucking shite. That's for fucking wee bairns and fucking dippet cunts, that. <laughs> Ta, I goes. But through gritted teeth, can I'm thinking that's going right in the bucket when I get home, I'll tell you that for fuck all. You can understand if it was Elspeth that made the mistake. I mean, that's birds for you. But if that Greg cunt was in on buying it, it means he was trying to take the fucking push. I'm fucking well fuming at that disrespect. So I stop myself from saying something I shouldn't. I go bend the scullery to get another can for the fridge. Then I'm thinking that that Greg's such a big fucking lassie himself. He probably doesn't have a fucking clue either. My head's still nipping, and I swallow a couple of extra strength anodin with a mouthful of beer. When I gets back, I see this fucking Greg's playing away with Joe's bairns on the fucking flare with her toys. Meant to be the bairns and you fucking toys, not for some big fucking pansy to ponce around me. I pulls Joe aside back in the kitchen and goes, You want to watch that cunt around the bairns? Touch of the fucking Gary Glitters there. <laughs> Tell you that for now. You reckon? Joe says, putting his food in the door to check it out. Defo, you can't how fucking plausible they cunts can be. That's the thing. I'd lay even money that cunts on the Stoats register. You can spot the type a mile away. My ma comes, ma sees us and comes Ben. What are you two on about? Standing here in the kitchen drinking like fishes. Go out there and try and be social. It's meant to be Christmas. Right, ma, I goes, looking at Joe. That Greg cunt might have brainwashed her. That's women for you, though. No got many fucking brains to wash in the first place, eh? But me and Joe have been around far too long to see through a cunt like that. Best keeping the old lady fucking sweet, but I shall have a coupon on her all day. So he gets back through with the rest of them, and I sits down and picks up the Radio Times. I starts to circle all the programmes we're going to watch. The way I see it is that some cunt's got to decide to stop every fucker from squabbling, so it might as well be me. That's what I like about Christmas. It's just sitting back with a few cans and watching a film. Your beauty, James Bond's own, Dr. No, and it's just about to fucking well start. Sean Connery, the best fucking Bond. You didn't want some fucking Ponzi English cunt. No for James Bond. Mind you, know that I really agree with having some cunt for Toll Cross's Bond. <laughs> There's cunts for Leith who could have done that job just as well as Connery. Old Davy Robb drinks in the Marksman. He must be about ages with Connery. Fucking hard cunt in his day. Everybody will tell you that. Into everything, that cunt. Cunts like that could have been great Bonds. If they got the fucking training likes. We're no watching Doctor No, Mama says. Come on, Francis. I'd already picked it, but ma, I tells her. She's sitting there with her arms folded, the fucking bully of the washes, like she wants us to gear the remote. No chance of that. Sometimes I think that my ma forgets that this is much my house as it is hers. I might not have stayed here for years, but this was the house that I grew up in, 
So you always still think it is your house. I think she sometimes forgets that. <laughs> You've seen it loads of times, she moans. The wee ins might want to watch the cartoon videos they got for Christmas. Toy Story 2. One of the bairns goes, that wee Philip, a sneaky wee bastard, takes after his ma. <laughs> Some cunts are that fucking clueless that you have to explain everything. No, because that's the whole point of getting a fucking video, I goes to them. That you can watch it anytime you fucking well like. You can't watch a Bond film anytime you fucking well like. You either watch it or you dinny. And you've got to watch a fucking Bond film at Christmas. Joe! I turns to my brother. I'm no bothered, Joe goes. Sandra looks across at him, then at me, then at Kate. You just ken that big cow's gonna say something because she goes all that huffy, puffed up way. So we have to watch what Frank wants again, I take it. Fine, she goes, all sarcastic. Then he fucking start, Joe goes, pointing at her. I'm just saying what your ma's saying at the bairns. Joe cuts her off. I says, then he fucking start. He lowers his voice, I've told you. She sits there bristling away on the fucking couch, but she's not looking at anybody and she's not saying now. Joe looks at me, shakes his head. But time is getting her fucking well tilt. My ma looks out at Greg and Elspeth. They've been sitting on the rain just whispering away and laughing at themselves in the corner. All antisocial. Meant to be a fucking family Christmas we're having here. The cunts wanted to do that, they could do it outside. What do you used to want to watch? My ma asks them. They look at each other like they're no bothered. And this smarmy cunt, this Greg Poof goes, well I'm with Frank. I think it would be a good laugh to watch a Bond movie. Then the current goes in this posh voice. Ah, Mr. Bond, I've been expecting you. <laughs> and my ma laughs and even sees a wee smile on the corner of Joe's lips. Of course, the bairns are all laughing now and every cunt suddenly thinks it's all a fucking great idea to watch a Bond movie. <laughs> now that this fucking Greg cunt's in here. Ruined my fucking enjoyment of the film. These cunts, that too, that Greg and Elspeth, they've been whispering away at each other all through the fucking picture. If they're making that fuss about it, the cunt wasn't even fucking watching the film right. At the end of it, the pair of them get up and stand in front of the telly. I'm just about to tell them to sit the fuck down because I want to change channels. See that fucking snowman cartoon for the sake of the burns, right? <laughs> they're blocking the fucking signal for the remote. We've got a little announcement to make. This Greg cunt goes, and Elspeth moved close to him and they had hands. My ma's looking all excited, it's like she's waiting for the last fucking number on her care down at the Mecca. <laughs> the Greg cunt coughs. It's difficult to know how to say this, but, well, yesterday, I asked Elspeth if she would do me the great honour of becoming my wife. I'm delighted to say that she said yes. My old girl stands up all delirious and stretches her arms out like that Al Jolson cunt ready to burst into song. <laughs> but it's fucking tears she's bursting into and she's saying how beautiful it is, her wee lassie and she can't believe it and all that crap. What a fucking lot of fuss to make our nout. <laughs> it's like some cunt had slipped an ecky into her sherry. <laughs> when they put it past that Greg. Sly looking gage, can Aye, Sandra and Kate are all excited and Joe's wee in says, 
Can she be a bridesmaid? And they say, I have Koshikin and all that shite. Couldn't they fucking well believe my ears? Getting married. Who else to this fucking nonce cunt in a suit? Her head's in the clouds. That's Elspeth, but I was thinking that she's better than any cunt else. Spoiled rotten by being the youngest and the only lassie. That's what it was. Never had it rough, no like me and Joe. Thinks that she can just suit herself. Some cunt should tell her it isn't fucking well, doesn't fucking well work that way. Not in the real world. So I'm fucking well sitting there, my nut pounding, and they're all shrieking away. And she pulls out the ring and sticks it on her finger, showing it off. It's beautiful, Mama goes. Very nice, that Sandra says. Did he get down on the bended? Bet he did. She goes, looking at that Greg. And then glancing down at my brother like he's fucking out. Fucking Elspeth, but I don't know what she's playing it. Mind that last boy she was going to be. He was a good cunt. <laughs> Keith, the boy's name was. Big motor. Fucking very nice flat and all, man. They put the pair fucker away, though. Just for dealing a wee bit of bugle. It's fucking well out of order, because just about every cunt's at that game these days. I mean, you can't fucking class Charlie as drugs. Not in my book. I mean, it's not like Schemey's fucking killing themselves with smack. What it is is a designer accessory for the modern fucking age. It's the problem with this fucking country. Too many cunts living in the dark ages, not prepared to move with the fucking times. This Greg cunt vanishes for a bit. Comes back with a huge bottle of champagne and some glasses. The way that Sandra's looking at the fucking bottle, you think it was a fucking vibrator she was going to stick up her fanny. So fucking pretty boy pops the cork and it flies across the room hitting the ceiling. I'm out and checking to see if it's left a mark where it hit the paintwork and see if it fucking well has. That cunt can pay for my ma to get her fucking ceiling redone. <laughs> Lucky for him it has not he pours a drink into the glasses. Joe takes a glass for the cunt, but I wave him away. Didn't he like that stuff? That's crap, I tell the boy. Sticking to beer, aye? He goes, aye, I says. Come on, son, it's a special occasion. Your sister's engagement. Mama goes, doesn't it fucking bother me? I didn't like the fizzy bubbles. They get up my nose, I tell her, looking out at this Greg poof with his fucking side parting and his fucking crew neck shirt. Without a tie. I wanted to say that he gets up my fucking nose. But I kept quiet though. Christmas and that. <laughs> ah, it's not for me to say anything about him, but I'm going to run a check in this cunt. Something right fucking iffy about that, Raj. He looks the type of cunt that's no sure about whether to catch the one or the six, if you scan what I mean. Probably one of the fucking bench shots shagging the young poofs up at Colton Hill. In the fucking closet and using who else but his cover. See if that can geezer aids. He's fucking well dead. <laughs> well, that loudmouth fucking whore Sandra goes, raising her glass in toast. To Elspeth and Greg. Elspeth and Greg, every cunt says. I'm saying now, but I never take my eyes off of that cunt. Aye, pal, I'm fucking wide for you. Every cunt's making a big fuss. Even Joe shakes the boy's hand. I'm shaking they cunt's hand. That's a fucking set. Well, I'd best get the dinner served up, the old lady says. This has been the happiest Christmas I've had in years. See if your father was here. She bubbles at Elspeth. If your father was here, he would have done what he always fucking did. 
drink us all out of your house and home and make a fucking exhibition of himself. This cunt Greg puts his hand on my ma's wrist and slides his other arm round Doer Elspeth's waist. I was just saying to Els last night, Val, it's my one big regret that I was never able to meet John. What's that cunt saying about my fucking old man? He didn't fucking care, my old man. Fucking cunt thinks he can just come in here and take over everything. Just because he caught her Elspeth at a vulnerable time. Just because she was on the rebound, so to speak. With that pair fucking Keith boy getting sent in. I've seen smarmy cunts like this Greg before. Seen them in action. I was on the lookout for some lassie to take a Lenny. Ah, she's making a big mistake. She has to be telt. So we're sitting down at the table to our dinner. And all that is only went and arranged it. Says that I'm sitting next to this fucking smarmy fucking side part and child molester. So what line of work are you in, mate? Joe asks the Greg boy. Elspeth butts in before the cunt can speak. Greg works for the council. Have a word with the cunts about that council tax. Fucking well out of order, I goes. My ma and Joe and Sandra nod away agreeing with that and I fucking well got the cunt there. The council's a waste of fucking money as far as I can see. They could shut the whole lot fucking down in the morning and they can't notice any difference at all. Elspeth gets all snooty. That's not Greg's department. He's in planning. A principal officer, she says, or affiliate. So it's planning we're getting now, is it? Aye, I can't want the cunts fucking well planning, all right. Planning to get his fucking feet under the table. Well, no, in this house he's no. Sitting there, drinking his wine, chomping into that dinner like he's to the fucking manor born. The crawling cunt goes, you've really pulled out all the stops here, Val. Delicious. Cooked to a treat. I'm sitting next to him, raging, and as small as a mouthful of grub. There's something, a wee bone of the likes, sticking a bit in my throat. Takes a sip of wine. I'd like to propose a wee toast, the Greg cunt goes, raising his glass, to family. I tries to cough up, but it's fucking stuck fast. Can't I get any air. My nostrils are all blocked up with that Charlie for last night. My sinuses are fucking packed solid with crap. Fucking hell. Uncle Frank's no well, the wee boy says. You all right, Francis, son? Something no gone doing? My ma goes, he's gone red. I waves the cunts away and stands up. Daft cow Sandra's trying to give us a bit of breed. Force it down, force it down, she goes. But I'm fucking well choking anyway, she's trying to fucking kill me. Pushes her aside, I'm gasping and choking. He's fucking spinning. See the horror in their faces round the table. <coughs> I cough. And this sick comes up and it catches in my fucking throat and flies back doing all hot and burning right in my fucking lungs. Yeah, cunt, I'm fucking choking! Grabbing the table, banging on it, grabbing at my fucking throat. Oh, yeah, fucker! I feel this bang in the top of my back. One dunt, then another. And I feel something loosen and it all comes up. That blockage is away and I can breathe. Sweet fucking air. I can breathe. <sighs> All right, Franco, Joe asks. I nod. Well done, Greg. You saved the day there, he goes. <laughs> you certainly did. That Sandra says. Get my puff back. Try to work out what happened. Turns to this Greg. Some kind of battered us on the back there. Was that you? <laughs>
Aye, I think he swallowed a wishbone, he goes. I fucking smacks a nut right onto the cunt. <laughs> he falls back, cutting his face. There's screams for the women and the bairns and Joe's all over and he's got a grip on my arm. What you fucking doing, Franco? The boy helped you, he saved your fucking life. Fucking boss to that, brushes his hand off. He barred us on the back of my mask fucking house. They can't lay their hands on me. My mask fucking house on Christmas Day. That'll be fucking right. I'm screaming, calling it's an animal, and who else but staying or not? That's it. That's us finished, she goes. Looking at me, shaking her head. We're gone, she says to Mama. Oh, Denny, please, hen. Not the day. Not the day, Mama's pleading. Sorry, Mum. We are off. She points at me. He's ruined everything. He'll be happy now. Good. We'll leave you to it. Merry fucking Christmas. This Greg cunt's got his head up with a surveyor on his nose trying to stem the blood. But it's gone on to his shirt though. It's alright, it's alright, he laughs, trying to calm them all down. It was nothing. Frank's had a bad shock, a bad fright, he's in shock, he didn't know what he was doing. Just lashed out, no bother, it's fine. Just looks worse than it is. Mind you thinking, I'll give the cunt a lot fucking worse than that, I'll tell you. Yeah, cunt, I sit down. Still trying to get my fucking breath back. They're all arguing like fuck. Elspeth's greeting and he's trying to calm her. It's all right, it's all right. He didn't mean it, darling. Let's just stay here for Val's sake. This Greg cunt's gone. You didn't ken him. He has to spoil everything. She sobs. Oh, a big excuse for her to go all greeting faced and spoiled as usual. Joe and Sandra are, are sorting out Mama and the Bairns. She's moaning all the usual shite about where did she go wrong and all that. It's me that fucking well went wrong, coming here on Christmas Day. <laughs> I just heap some mere sprouts on the plate and fills up my glass. I feel like saying to them, if he's a gonna eat your Christmas dinner, fucking well sit down and eat it. If he's only, get the fuck away and give me peace to finish mine. I maybe should have cooled it, got out of the cunt outside and stood a ladder them like that in my mass house. That cunt was too wide for his own good though. Far too fucking wide. Alright, he did try to help, but he gave my back a right fucking dunt. No need for that. And I suppose that what it all boils down to is that there's some cunts you can't take to. You fucking try, but deep down you can. You're never going to see eye to eye, and that's that. Thanks very much for listening, folks. Cheers. The whole book is as good as that. It's uh, very, uh, very well worth uh, 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 picking up. And if you get, if you hang around after in the in the signing tent, you can actually get it signed as well. Um, it, as well as that um, uh, short story, um, there's a fantastic one in which uh, called the Rosewell incident, incident, in which uh, uh, a character not unlike Franco Begbie uh, is uh, captured by aliens and actually teaches them. Uh, everything they know about the human race and uh, <laughs> the consequences you can imagine. Um, there's also a brand new story, um, I Am Miami, which makes the um, rather unexpected connection between the, both uses of the word old school, and um, I'll, I'll leave you to read uh, about that one. But uh, I don't know whether you'd call it um, a sort of compilation of hit singles, uh, B-sides, outtakes in album terms. How, uh, how is it to you to look back at this, at this stuff and, and, wh and what, what you were like back, at, back then? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Just let me get my breath. It's exhausting doing, you know, doing Begbie for kind of half an hour because <laughs> you always think, God, 
It must be terrible being a nutter, the amount of energy you must expend. <laughs> Just getting through the day, you know? <laughs> this constant state of outrage. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, reading them back, it was, it's kind of weird because, um, I mean, it, to, every time I write a book, every, you know, the reviewers all say, this is just like kind of, uh, this is all drugs. So, you know, every, every second page is a kind of drug reference. And I think, this is nonsense, like, you know. And then reading these stories back to edit them, I thought, my God, they are. They're all fucking drugs, every <laughs> single one. So, yeah, it, was, it kind of shocked me that uh, it, it seemed to be, um, it, it just, I think it was just uh, the, w the way I was thinking at the time. But uh, there seemed to be a lot of kind of... Um, Drugs seem to be quite ubiquitous in this collection. And that was, my, that was my, my... And that reflects on your life at the time? Uh, probably not, in a way. I mean, I kind of think that... Um, I think that... Uh, I mean, it was more of a... To me, the, the, the 90s was very... Um, was a very kind of ubiquitous drug time. It was that... Uh, it was that time when it, you know, people didn't really know how globalisation was going to sort of affect us. And... Um, it was like the last stand of British culture, of kind of British youth culture, because we'd had everything like, um, you know, from, from Ted's right up to sort of um, to Acid House and Casuals, and that was the last kind of stand of British youth culture. And then we had Britpop, which was a kind of, um, was the first globalised kind of thing. It was like, you know, it was, like, it was almost like a, a kind of lament, a requiem for, for British culture, and it kind of it put everything together. And, the idea was we didn't know how what was going to happen, so we just kind of parted right through it. So in the 90s were this kind of weird, this big party time when everybody seemed to sort of go out and go crazy. And uh, after the kind of politics and the struggles of the 80s, people just wanted to go into f to jump around in nightclubs and dance in fields and all that sort of stuff. And, and when well, I certainly did anyway. Uh, when, when, <laughs> when, when you look back at that, I mean, there's a, a lot of artists would, would look back at their old work and sort of uh, you know, squirm and say, oh, I can't possibly look at it. Or other others, artists, artists look, look really sort of pride at their children and how well they've, they've done in the world. Squirming's built, I think Squirming is built into it as a writer because um, I think when, when you do any book, you, you kind of, you spend so long with it that um, you basically know you've finished the book when you can't physically stand to have it. Any, in, in the house anymore, you just can't be around <laughs> it, you know, so, and I think, and you get the thing out, and uh, you send it out, and um, then you see it a year later, when it's it's all been sorted out, and all you do, you pick it up, all I do is swim, because I think, God, I should have worked harder on this part, or I should have changed that part, and, you know, it's, so, I think that's, that's kind of built into the part of, to being a writer, you kind of, um, I mean, I, I don't really, I don't really have that much time for any of the books once I've done them. Basically, they've gone and I'm, I'm on to the next thing. And you've got the title Reheated Cabbage as a sort of defence mechanism against that, maybe. Yeah, I mean, it is. It's like, the, it came from um, the Italians. Have, the, the Italians have got a word for it. It actually means reheated, you know, in Italian, it actually means reheated cabbage. Any Italian scholars in the house tonight? Nobody, nobody knows what the word, um, what reheated cabbage is in Italian. I forget what it is. It's, I'm not going to even try and say it because, of, but, but it literally means reheated cabbage. And in Italy, when they, when somebody's going out with with a, a former girlfriend or boyfriend, they, they've they've not been going out for a while, and then they get back together again. That's what they say. They go reheated cabbage, and it's always they reckon it's always bad news, basically. You know? So uh, I kind of thought that um, kind of preempting sort of criticism that sorry. Ah, la minestra estalda. So, yeah, that's really Italian. Well done. There's always one. There's always an Italian scholar in the crowd. <laughs> but um, 
Yeah, so that that's uh, you know I suppose it was kind of preempting sort of uh, that you know the inevitable criticism that something that's a very nineties oriented collection would would get. Were you aware when you were writing, you know, the work that became Train Spotting and a lot of the stuff that's here, um, of, 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 you know, putting something on the map that hadn't been on the map before? I mean, and, and I can ask this question because there was an advert recently. I, I can't, typically, I can't remember what it was advertising, but there was a map of the UK and it was pinpointing films that were around the UK and where they, where the films were located. And of course, it said Train Spotting Glasgow. <laughs> uh, because, because even after all these years, there's still a perception from certain people in the South, maybe, that um, uh, Glasgow is a place of hard men and Edinburgh is a place of, of the Edinburgh and Festival and arts and culture and stuff like that. But, but you did, uh, with train spotting, you, you, you did open a door that hadn't been opened before, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, if you look at the, I mean, Edinburgh and Glasgow, are, you know, the, they're the only real cities in Scotland and they're so close to each other. So they kind of become defined as opposites when they're not really, in a way, they're both kind of post-industrial cities and um, both largely working class cities and you know but you never you always think of Glasgow as being Easterhouse rather than um, kind of um, Hindland and you always think of Edinburgh as being like Morningside rather than Muirhouse so it's just a, it's just a, the kind of image that the, the, the cities have got uh, which is probably kind of um, it's kind of strange you know, I think when, when things are so close they tend to define each other as opposites but um, Edinburgh's an interesting city because when you look at, you know, like kind of where we are now in the new town, when um, James Craig built the new town in the, the 1700s, it was, um, it was actually the first suburb, you know, because people used to, um, people used to sort of uh, live up in the old town and uh, the professional classes used to live with the, the artisans and the labouring classes in the same kind of, the, the same skyscrapers on, on different levels. But uh, when we built, um, we, we built the, this, this is the first kind of professional suburb here, the new town, and it was also, but also made the old town, conversely, the first ghetto. So we created the suburb and the ghetto here, and it's, you know, that's very much um, the, the kind of duality of the city and the duality of the culture of the city that's kind of, uh, that's been sort of going along all these years. So you can have the, you can have like the AIDS capital of Europe, and you can have this kind of, kind of Athens of the North and this festival city kind of existing side by side. And uh, they do, but they don't really interface in any way. So you mean you, you, you see what you're doing in very much in that tradition of Jekyll and Hyde? It's that kind of. It I don't think you consciously, not, not consciously. I mean, I think that um, it's something I've become aware of that you know that this this actually that this is uh, the the, you know, the the culture of the city and this is uh, the 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 socioeconomics and the geography of the city and um, you kind of um, I mean I think it's really interesting that. Uh, a city, you know, like like Edinburgh, can throw up somebody like uh, like Sandy McCall Smith, who was on earlier, and myself, and uh, you know, we're both in our own different ways, kind of very Edinburgh. I'm going very, to, very I'm gonna go to questions because otherwise people will, will shout at me for not giving you enough opportunity. Um, wave your hand, and somebody will come with a with a microphone um, while they're doing. Uh, oh, there's already a question right out here on the front. Thank you. Yes, why did you you call? The follow-up to train spotting porno, and do you think there's still a taboo about serious writers getting into the pornography type of questions? Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of, um, I thought that I thought that uh, the porn uh, pornography in the sort of in the eighties, in the nineties, was very much like um, was very much like drugs. It was, it was in the eighties, and it was becoming um, it was something that was 
basically taken over by technology and consumerism. You know, it's like that uh, something that used to be underground because of the internet had become very mainstream. I mean, I, I you know, it's like um, I got interested in it because a lot of people that I know that used to go raving and clubbing, they, they started making kind of stag movies, you know, and sort of, um, you know, just up in the top of a pub together. And what, what, um, what was interesting is when they went back just to have these big kind of sweaty orgies, um, nobody was really particularly bothered about anything. But as soon as the camera came out and they started filming it, then everything changed. I mean, um, everybody was on sunbeds and sucking their stomachs in and going to the gym and getting the tattoos removed and, you know. So just that, and they started to get all pretentious about cameras and camera angles and all this stuff. So and it was just that the, the internet and, um, you know, the, the changing in technology and the change in exhibition and, uh, and the way that um, the internet changed pornography. I mean, they reckon that, you know, they say that business made the internet, but it was porn that made the internet. I mean, it's like pornography was the first mass market on the internet. And um, it kind of completely, you know, it took it, it took it from the high street into the living room. And that completely, you know, and now it's like, they reckon that women are 40% of the consumers of pornography. And that's obviously changed all the narratives of pornography when you've got that, 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 that change in the consumer base. And that interested me, you know, that, uh, how, how all this, um, how all these changes would kind of impact on something when it stopped being underground and started to be, to fire into the mass culture. Uh, question up there in the middle. Hello. Um, of all the characters that you've ever written, do you have a favourite? Um, I suppose I like Spud from Trainspotting because um, I think everybody likes a lovable loser, really, you know, and... Um, yeah, I, I, can't, you, I think you have to kind of... Um, you have to like them all when you're writing them. You have to have some kind of empathy with them, no matter how despicable some of them may seem. Uh, for it to work on the page, you actually have to get a, a bit of empathy with them. But once I've got a bit of distance, I kind of, you know, I think, you know, I like Spud because you know he's, he's never going to win anything, but he keeps trying. He's, he's basically a, a nice guy. He means well. There was, there was a nice little cheer there after, after that. I can imagine having a, a vote around the audience as who's your favourite Irving Welsh character. But we'll come back to that later. Right over there, there's a question. You made Begbie anti-drugs and chain spotting. Why make him take coke this one? Because that's, I mean, a lot of guys who were who were drinkers were that uh, were just anti anti heroin when it came out, and uh, but they're they're not anti cocaine. I mean, cocaine is a great uh, it's an it's an accompaniment to alcohol. Basically, it means you can um, you can stay out later drinking more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a question right over here. Oh, sorry, I was doing, I was just pointing to someone just in front of you, just right behind you there. Sorry. How do you think your uh, writing has developed over the years in terms of your interests and your style? Um, it's difficult to say. I mean, I think that, um, I mean, I think as a writer, you're always a work in progress and you can't really, uh, you, you, I'm not really aware of it myself, but I think just basically just getting older is something that, um, that is, is kind of, uh, is, you know, obviously changes you as a writer and, um, Moving around a lot uh, geographically, I mean, I haven't really, I don't really spend as much time in Edinburgh as I used to, so I've kind of, you know, I've been out of the city for, for the best part of 20 years, the last 20 years, so um, I think it does change you, you know, you do, your interests kind of change and sort of, uh, you know, kind of, uh, sort of uh, develop and all that, but I think that um, it's, 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 
you want to keep the essence of what you know of, of your own voice and what you're about. But to, obviously, what you know, what you do and your interests and the, the themes that you want to tackle and engage with are going to change throughout the years. So it's it's very difficult to be objective about yourself, though. I mean, I think that's probably for other people to say rather than me. And place, it strikes me that place is important to you because we know that you, that you come from Edinburgh and we've seen those stories, but also you know, throughout all your books, if you've been in Miami, there's a re you know, references to Miami, there's references to London, um, Amsterdam comes in as well. Is the place that you're writing and working in important to you from that point of view? Yeah, not really. I mean, I think Edinburgh is my moose. I mean, even, even if I write something about... Um, if I write something about Miami or I write something about London, it's really just... A description, and a lot of the, a lot of the characters and the themes will still come from Edinburgh. Maybe the voices will be changed and all that, but a lot of the ideas still come from here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, oh, lots of questions over there. This always happens. That Are any of your characters based on any of your friends or family? <laughs> um, no, that, well, that I, t I try not to uh, base them on people that uh, I know. I mean, obviously there's. There's little quirks and ticks that will come out, um, but they are composites. You know, they're, they're, they're based. You know, they're, they're mixtures of different people and different traits and um, different kind of. Um, they tend to be like different states of mind that uh, I wake up in. You know, if I wake up in a sort of uh, hangovers are a great time for me to write. If I wake up with a hangover and I kind of hate the world, I always I can always produce a really pull out a real nasty character <laughs> from there on in, and uh, you just. After that, you're just basically trying to sort of um, to to embellish them, to make to, you know to make them more kind of three-dimensional. Um, up up in the corner there, there's quite a few questions. It may be even worth taking maybe three three questions. Was there any part of the train spotting movie that really irritated you? Um, Should we just take take three questions together and we'll remember them? And then somebody right up in the top corner. Sorry, Evan. Uh, yes, I'd just like to ask you about your use of um, middle-class characters in uh, Bedroom Secrets and in relation to the Gothic. Um, uh, one over to your right. <laughs> <laughs> You've got time to think about these. I believe you're working on a prequel to Trainspotting. How's that coming? Okay, so we've got prequel to Trainspotting. We've got uh, unfavorite, least favorite bits in, in Trainspotting the movie and uh, middle-class and Gothic and... Uh, <laughs> right. Um, yeah, the train spotting prequel first is coming along uh, nicely. Well, not nicely. I mean, it's, a, it's like all these all the books I do. It's a struggle, but um, kind of getting there. You know, it's, um, it's it's a lot of old material, and I want to put a kind of uh, you know, it's it's stuff that's obviously been written by a kind of uh, you know a, a sort of a twenty six year old guy, and I want to put a kind of fifty year old guy stamp on it, but try and keep it quite fresh at the same time. So it's getting that kind of balance. Um, the, the train spotting uh, scenes that irritated me were obviously the ones I was in myself because um, <laughs> I was thinking about um, the one particular where I had to sit up and go, sit up in bed and go, fuck, three things, sit up, fuck. It's, it's not difficult to do, but for some reason I couldn't do it on the set and I think I actually burned more stock in terms of film than like Ewan McGregor and Bobby Carlyle did put together. Uh, and it just, you know, I just, I just couldn't get this very simple sort of movement right. Uh, so, that, you know, whenever I see that, it always reminds me of that. Um, and I think that uh, the animatronic baby now is, looks, <laughs> looks pretty scabby. But I mean, it kind of, uh, I mean, 
kind of uh, the see in the CGI world that we live in now. It's like it's not been. Um, you can see it's a it's a it's a, it's a million quid film rather than a, a ten million pound film, basically. Um, the use of middle class characters in the Gothic and bedroom sequence of the Master Chefs. Uh, I kind of I wanted to write about. Um, the two characters, Kibby and Skinner, were both guys from working class backgrounds who worked in middle class professions. And I wanted to kind of look at um, look at that tension, that kind of socialization, that kind of sort of dual kind of life we go through when we sort of um, when we come from a working class community but we're we're quite aspirational. So they were they was, these were guys that were quite aspirational and they they, they were they were kind of um, they were kind of you know, pr young professional guys who were sort of who wanted to get on and wanted to do well, but also there's kind of um, there's consequences for them in that as well in terms of you know who they are and where they come from and their identity. And um, the gothic and dark side of it was basically, I mean, the whole thing was um, was influenced by the the picture of Dorian Gray and uh, by Stevenson's Jekyll and Hyde. You know, so I wanted to get that kind of sort of um, that kind of darkness in it, and uh, I've always thought of Edinburgh as a very gothic town. You know, when you're sort of, um, you know, especially when you, you get into the winter and you're walking up through this place, and it's it's you know it's buzzing now during the festival, but when it's practically deserted in the winter, when everybody goes home, and uh, you're kind of you know it's you're walking around and you see some of the, the the place uplit, and there's nobody in the streets for miles around, and then, you know you see somebody cascading down a, an alley half drunk, and, and you know it's, there is something very kind of dark and sort of uh, mysterious about the place. So it kind of lent, I thought it lent itself well, uh, kind of visually and textually to that kind of thing. Thank you. How are we doing for time? Um, we have time for, I think, another bunch of three questions like that, just to, just to keep everyone on his toes. And um, we can go into the middle here. Is that possible? Um, sort of halfway up and right at the back. Um, I read a newspaper article recently, and it was talking about um, deprived areas of Edinburgh and the film of train spotting and how it's glorified that lifestyle. I'm just wondering what your response to that was. Um, I think that I mean I think the it's the problem with cinema as a medium is it kind of glamorizes everything. It just does. I mean actors they, they just look better than real people, you know. And um, no matter how grungy you try to make them, so there is you know. But if you if you if you if you if you, if you as soon as you film anything. That's a, you know that's kind of social issue orientated, unless you're doing it as a real kind of um, a real preachy sort of thing, then you, you do run the risk of glamorising it. You do run the risk of glamorising it if you show people. Um, you have to show the vit. You know, I, I think I thought with what with train spotting, you had to show the vitality of youth, and you had to show the kind of attraction to danger, and you had to show that side of it. Why how people got involved, and how people got kind of enmeshed in a drug scene. Uh, to, before you start to show the downside, and I think that's this is why, you know, I believe that a lot of the the health education propaganda just didn't work. This kind of just say no, and this kind of scaring people because it wasn't, it wasn't kind of in congress with people's own experiences, own drug experiences. So I think you had to show something that was um, that was quite exciting, before you showed something that was quite dangerous because that that's the, the, the kind of two sides of the coin. And then right at the very back row, and I think that might have to be the last question. Um, different socioeconomic climates seem to feature in your writing. What do you think uh, your writing's going to take on now that we're in the shit slash the recession? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, 
I kind of, I, I don't know really, but I think that uh, one of the things that um, in the next book I'm doing, which is a kind of sort of train spot and prequel about how the guys actually got involved in the, the drug scene, that I kind of, uh, with train spotting, I mean, it was about the 80s and the 80s was a very political time and uh, I just wanted to, to, to react against that and not do something polemical at all, just write about people's lives and about that, that subculture and the circumstances they were in. Um, I'd like to do something that was with, with the prequel that was much more about the kind of um, the changes that we saw in the 80s, like you know the the, the kind of um, the you know the massive unemployment, the the growth of an underclass, the um, the kind of breaking of trade union power, all all those kind of elements, you know, from the the sale of council housing, uh, the, the the rise of drugs and the gangster economy. And all, all the kind of politics that went around with that, with, went around with these social changes, I'd like to kind of, um, not with a, you know, with, with a small p, but kind of integra integrate some of the, these kind of social changes more overtly into the, into the text of this, this next book I'm doing. Just because, as there is, you know, because we don't really talk about politics now, it's a kind of, it's a kind of pretty much a taboo. So I'd like to sort of um, to put, to put some of that into the book. Um, one last question before everybody goes home. Is it safe to walk the streets or is a Franco Begbie out there ready to get us? Yeah, I think there's, I think there's one in the audience here. You have to watch the bastard. I'm not, sh <laughs> not sure where he's sitting. Um, thank you very much for all your fantastic questions. Thank you very much for the big issue and thank you very much for everyone else. Um, the signing tent is the one just along there. Um, we'll be there and uh, lots of books and lots of opportunities for more chat. Thanks very much. Thanks, Evan.